on the last episode of Bullets and Rust. Blake West convinced me to meet with the O'Malley's. Immediately, I realized that this was unlike any case I'd ever worked before. Killian is about to prosecute one of the largest cases in Cleveland history, so they've tried to keep his son's disappearance quiet. I'm worried it might get his kid killed. There's no sign of a forced entry, and there was only one clue left behind. We found a plastic cap on the floor. A plastic cap? From a syringe. To make matters worse, the O'Malley's weren't even home when their child went missing. It's been stressful. We'd planned a weekend together a few weeks ahead of time. Reservations at a nice restaurant, trip to a hotel. Which restaurant? Fahrenheit. It's my favorite. The O'Malley's don't want me talking to their babysitter, even though she was the only one at the scene of the crime. That already has me suspicious. Then there's Kendall O'Malley's sister, Mercy. Mercy's convinced that Killian murdered his own son. Turns out the O'Malley's marriage is in trouble. It wasn't too long after their marriage that the violence began. In truth, I suspect it began before, but Kendall was blind to see what it really was. She assumed he'd calm down, mellow with age. In my experience, most men turn to vinegar, not wine. Beyond the case, Mercy has an alluring air about her. I found myself flirting, and her flirting back. Then perhaps we could continue this interrogation on the way to my apartment. I can show you my passport. Despite my better judgment, I followed her. Then, just as we were both about to fall asleep, I got a call from Justine Ghent, the young wife of a local mobster named Spence. Justine and I have been having an affair for a while now. If word ever got back to him what we were up to, it would be bad news. Call me. It's about my husband. Shit.
It's just after one thirty in the morning. I cut down Carnegie in record time. It's easier when you ignore the lights. My engine roared. I was halfway there before I realized I was driving in third gear. Shifting up, the engine quieted down, but all I could hear was the sound of my heart beating like a drum. I'd just left the apartment of Mercy Malone, Kindle O'Malley's sister, and the missing kid's aunt. I'd met her for drinks, where we exchanged information. Afterwards, we exchanged more. It was a stupid decision, but I'd be lying if I said it wasn't fun. As someone on the wrong side of 40, you take your kicks where you can get them. Then Justine decided to blow up everything with a series of enigmatic texts. Call me. It's about my husband. I called her back immediately. When she answered, I realized the situation was even worse than I'd thought. Justine's husband was Spencer Ghent, mid-level enforcer for the Lee McCauley crime family. Someone just shot him, and Justine's worried that it's because of something that she said. Specifically, something she told me. Needless to say, she wasn't happy. Don't do anything until I get there, I told her. Worry about Spence. You don't think I am? God damn it. No, that that's not what I meant. I just... Please just stay with him. I'll be there in 15 minutes. Barely 17 minutes later, I whipped my car into the closest parking spot near University Circle. I ran into the brand new trauma center. The city of Cleveland doesn't have the best reputation. There's plenty of outsiders who still call us the mistake on the lake. Living here, you get used to it. But one thing that people don't criticize about Cleveland is its healthcare system. I don't know how it is that we managed to have two of the best hospitals in the world here, but life's full of far stranger things than that. I ran into Justine in the waiting room. She'd always been thin, but tonight she looked like a skeleton. Her face was stretched taut against her cheeks. Her eyes were sunken into their sockets. There were long, dark streaks where her mascara had run down her face. I'm sorry. She glared at me with furious desperation. I can't understand why someone would want to hurt him. Really? I could. Spence's job with the Lee McCauley's made him a large swath of enemies. I was tempted to remind her that I'd caught wind of a price on his head on two separate occasions. However, this really didn't seem like the time. What happened? I asked. He was walking through the park near our house when someone drove up and shot him. Sounded like a clean hit, so long as it didn't miss. No doubt the car would turn up later, stolen, wiped clean of prints, abandoned in a parking lot without security cameras. He was just walking, Zeke. Her face twisted. I could barely recognize her. As she leaned forward, I put my hand on her shoulder. Just let it out. <laughs> we spent the next half hour sitting in a pair of hard plastic chairs. Other people rushed by us. Patients, doctors, families. Justine pressed her head against my shoulder. It had already been a long day, but I did my best to fight the exhaustion. Once upon a time, I could have shrugged this off. Ten, fifteen years later, and it's no longer that easy. People keep saying that 40 is the new 30, but 43 still feels like 43. While Justine was crying her guts out, I realized that my best source of intelligence had just dried up. Justine wasn't likely to stay involved after this, and the family would let her go. Without Spence, anything she knew would quickly be out of date anyway. Hopefully, no one else knew about her connection to me. Justine was smart enough not to tell her husband what was going on. She knew what he'd do. But where did this leave us? If she revealed to the family all the things that she'd told me, we'd both be in a world of trouble. 
By the time she pulled away from me, it was after 2 a.m. She used her sleeve to wipe the snot from her face. They're not going to go after him. Her voice was low. I almost couldn't make it out. What? The family. They're not going to go after whoever's behind this. How do you know that? Spencer was a highly regarded member of the organization. He might not have been a family member by blood, but he was a part of the family. That meant something to these people. He was moving to push some people out from a nearby neighborhood, people causing trouble. The family didn't sanction it. They didn't oppose it, but they warned him. They said if it came back to bite him, it'd be on his head. Justy, I said. It's one thing to say that. They meant it, Zeke. Before you got here, Littlefish came by. He told me not to talk to the cops. They've probably already been paid off to look the other way. Littlefish was Antonio Fisher. He was Angelo Limacoli's aide-de-camp and personal muscle. He wasn't someone you fucked around with. Hell, part of my job is to deal with dangerous people, and even I get nervous when Littlefish is in the room. Regardless of his nickname, Littlefish was a goddamn shark. Well, maybe he came because... He told me that they'd pay for his funeral, but that'd be the end of it. When I tried to ask what was going on, he told me to drop it. Justy. Drop it, he said. Spence ain't even cold yet, and they're already telling me to look the other way, Zeke. What kind of a way is that to treat him, after all he did for them? The whole thing stank to high hell, but what use was it to keep her riled up? She would hardly be the first mafioso widow trying to take matters into her own hands, but most of those women were quickly reunited with their husbands, if you get my meaning. I didn't want Justine to end up buried in a shallow grave. Justine, promise me you won't do anything stupid. If they're telling you to drop it... Her hand lashed out like a whip, turning my head sideways. Fuck you, Zeke. How dare you tell me to drop it? Because I don't want you to get hurt. You should know better than most. These are serious people. How many murders had she confided to me over the years? How many people had her husband beat within half an inch of their lives? I remember one case in particular. Becky. Becky had been skimming money from the family. It turned out she was selling info to the Trovalones, the Limacoli family's biggest rival. Spence and Littlefish spent two days working her over. Then, with her hands bound behind her back, they drove her out to the East Basin. They shot Becky execution style and buried her at the end of the runway. The police still classified her as a missing person. Justine had been spooked. Talking to me wasn't the same as talking to the Trovalones, but it still wasn't good. She'd almost quit back then, forced to grapple with her own mortality. Now it was like she'd forgotten everything. Grief makes people do stupid things. I know what kind of people they are. That's why I didn't call anyone else. Do you really think they'd let your husband's killer get away with it? He treated them like family, but they always kept him at an arm's length. He was never going to get any higher, and he knew it. That's why he was branching out into other business. He knew he was never going to go any further there. Suddenly, things became a little bit more clear. Spence wasn't just trying to clear up the neighborhood of Riffraff. Justine laid it out for me. Her husband was trying to scare people off so he could buy lots and develop them for himself. You see, Cleveland is seeing a resurgent boom in condos and yuppie apartments. The right piece of land could be incredibly lucrative. So maybe they didn't care, or maybe they started to see him as competition. For fuck's sake, Zeke, they might be the ones who did this for all I know. That's why... Her voice trailed off, and I watched her eyes rise slowly from the floor. I don't have anyone else, Zeke. I'm not a hitman, Justy. I don't need you to be. I know plenty myself. 
but I need to know the name of the son of a bitch who did it. That's a bad idea. It's just a Zeke. And what if I get you that name? Do you know what that makes me? An accessory to murder. I don't care. I need to know. Well, you're going to have to call somebody else. I've got too much shit on my plate already. Justine lifted her hand and wiped away the last of her tears. I was afraid you'd say that. You need to rest. Calm down. Fuck you, Zeke. And you're going to do it if you don't want me going to Angelo. Angelo Lee McCauley. A true cold-blooded bastard. The only time I'd ever spoken to him, we hadn't exactly parted on good terms. What are you talking about? What do you think he'd do if he found out how many of his guys you've gotten put away, huh? How many of the things I told you went straight to the police? A threat you couldn't carry out wasn't much of a threat. Justine might be angry, but she was hardly suicidal. How do you expect to do that without getting yourself killed? I'll, I'll tell him that you tricked me. That I've only recently put it together. That I'm telling him so he can put things to right if he's willing to help me put things right with Spence. That's a very stupid idea. All you'll do is get us both killed. Maybe, but it's all I've got. And I think you underestimate how persuasive I can be. I'll do it, Zeke. I will, unless you help me find the man that murdered Spence. I looked into her eyes and saw the stone-cold determination of a killer. The sweet young girl I'd met five years ago was gone. All of this for a guy you've been cheating on? She nodded and wiped her eyes again. Just because I fucked around a little doesn't mean I didn't love him, Zeke. At that moment, she didn't even need to threaten to go to Angelo. Just looking at her was enough to break my heart. Blackmail usually involves money or information, but it doesn't have to. There's plenty of ways to put somebody over a barrel. Tonight, it was the look of true sorrow in a young widow's eyes. Okay, Justy, I'll find out who pulled the trigger. But you've got to keep a lid on this, okay? You can't tell anyone that we've spoken. And I'm going to need to see his files, his business, the neighborhood deals, everything. Justine nodded. Sure thing, Zeke. Sure thing. Even then, I wondered what the hell I was getting myself into. I should have had the good sense to call her bluff. If I had, there'd be at least one less corpse in the Cuyahoga. I stayed by Justine's side for most of the night. She offered up a little information, but mostly I was just trying to keep her company. However, when the sun came up, it was time for me to go. Besides, I had two other cases already, and Spence wasn't going to get any more dead. Instead of going home, I headed straight for the office. The neighborhood is changing, rapidly. When I moved in, there was high crime and everything was cheap. Now the gentrifiers are cleaning up the place, not just with new investment, but by cutting out the heart that gave this place its character. Now what used to be Ohio City is being paved and painted over by a group of people who like to pretend the old version never even existed. I parked in the back of the building. There's a small diner called McCormick's on the ground floor, and I'm upstairs. Cliché as it is, I've got a frosted door with my name stenciled in thick black letters. It's nice to know that the place is mine. The inside of my agency isn't particularly impressive. I have a waiting area which Linda watches over like a hawk. My office is behind that, sealed by a heavy door, specially soundproof so that no one outside can listen in. Not even Linda, 
Lots of secrets get revealed in that room. There are two other rooms, both so unassuming that you'd be forgiven for not knowing they were there. The first is the bathroom, a vital amenity. The other is a small annex off of my office. When I first moved in, I wasn't sure what to do about it. It was Mark that suggested I put up a fake bookcase. You put the bookcase on rollers and a hinge. Then you've got a secret hideaway. It sounds absurd, but I actually did it. Listening to Mark's ideas is a particular weakness of mine. Back when we were together, his bullshit caused me as much grief as I gave myself, which is almost impressive. These days, the secret room is where I keep my confidential files, along with my data backups and the pictures I don't want anyone else to see. I've also got a safe inside, which only I know the combination to. The bookcase door is sealed with a deadbolt that could hold back an NFL linebacker, and it's the only place that I consider to be truly safe. That was where I kept my intel on both the Lima Coles and the Trovalones, the two major crime families in the city of Cleveland. Thankfully, crime families tend to be built on long-standing relationships. They don't make new contacts easily, or often. I entered the office and walked over to the coffee maker that Linda keeps out in the lobby. I emptied the grounds into the garbage and started a fresh pot. Then, I sat down at her desk and waited for the coffee to brew. To be honest, I don't even remember closing my eyes. But it was 5 a.m. and I'd had a busy day, and you can guess what happened next. I shot up from the desk, but my eyes were unfocused by the sudden burst of light. Morning, Zeke! I didn't need to be a detective to know that it was Linda, my secretary, who was screaming in my face. Jesus, good morning! What's good about it, Zeke? Linda, who the hell pissed in your Cheerios? You did, Zeke. Huh? I tried to pay my electric bill today, but my account was declined. Do you know why that might be? I shrugged. I was still trying to push through the fog of only three hours of sleep. My paycheck didn't come through, that's why. Ah, fuck. I never did get around to depositing those checks, did I? Linda asked me to do that yesterday morning, but I got busy. Then I planned to do it in the afternoon, but Blake stopped by and my life turned upside down. That's when I met Kindle and Killian O'Malley, and, well, you were here for the rest. I called the payment processing company and they told me our account was too low to run payroll. How could that be if you deposited the check, Zeke? Uh, they, uh, th they must not have gone through. It was a dumb lie. A bad lie. But in my defense, I was tired. They were bank checks. Don't give me that bullshit. I nodded, reaching into my desk drawer. I said I'm sorry, Linda. You're sorry? You're gonna screw up my credit, Zeke. I said I'm sorry, okay? I'm gonna fix it for you. I can give you an advance out of my own account. I frowned, reaching into the drawer to pull out my personal checkbook. I quickly scribbled my name and Linda's wage before tearing it out. Here, I'm really sorry. You're damn right you are. Linda snatched it from my hand. She slid it into her wallet while giving me a look that could take paint off the wall. So, listen, there's something I need you to do this morning. After I go to the bank. I was in no mood to argue. Besides, I was the one who fucked up, so I shrugged my head and let it go. Sure, fine, but as soon as that's done, I need you to go downtown to pull some files. I pulled the list from my shirt pocket. Pulling public records is pretty common, and if you're lazy, you can have them emailed to you. But it's cheaper and faster to get them in person. Besides, 
That's part of what I pay Linda for. Now I needed files for three different cases. Abner, Justine, and the O'Malley's. With Abner, I was curious about what properties were being held in his name. He'd been keen to invest his money in the Synthetic Corporation, and maybe he invested in something else. Maybe a jilted investor was behind this. Or maybe Abner owned valuable real estate he wasn't telling anyone about. As for the O'Malley's, I already knew about their house in Bay Village. But according to Kindle's sister, Mercy, there was a history of abuse. I wanted to know if any of that had made it onto paper. I was also curious to see who Killian had sent to jail. That was going to be a long list. And as for Spencer and Justine, well, Spencer was a mob enforcer. He had a record as long as my arm, and more enemies than I could count. But if he really had been trying to push people out of his neighborhood, then it would be worth looking into who he was messing with. Linda took the list and stuffed it into her pocket. She scowled at me before walking out the door. The moment she was gone, I breathed a sigh of relief. I grabbed a cup of coffee. I was still exhausted, but I had a lot to do. I had a feeling the next few days were going to be pretty hectic. Little did I know, that was an understatement. My first order of business was heading downtown to visit Abner. His case was the least pressing, but it was the only one I could make any movement on right now, and it also happened to be the most lucrative. If he was getting new pictures sent every morning, I was keen to see one when it arrived. With everything else going on, I probably should have backed off. Two cases? That I can handle. Three is pushing it. But the money was too good and I got stupid. The same guard was waiting at the security gate as the day before. He gave me a foul look, but he waved me in. This time, I was coming in at the same time as most of the staff. I got to ride in a crowded elevator all the way up to the 27th floor. Dressed as I was, in a rumpled shirt and dirty khakis, I received my fair share of dirty looks. Everyone else was wearing suits and a tie. One woman glared at me. Take a picture to last longer, I said. She turned away, though I could see her continuing to scowl at me in the reflection of the door. When I stepped off, I could feel the others drop their guard. They didn't like having a stranger in their midst. I made my way back to Abner's office. Walking into the outer antechamber, I found his assistant Riley typing on her computer. As she saw me slip in through the door, I caught a flicker in her eyes. The kind that betrays just how nervous that person really is. Hey, what's going on? Did Mr. Forrest ask you to come see him today? I don't have it on the schedule. No, I came to see about today's delivery. The mail hasn't come yet, but today's not the best day for you to be here. Really? I hadn't noticed. She didn't think that was funny. Her lips pursed up. The IPO is going on sale soon. They've invited a bunch of investors and press people to come down. You shouldn't be here. Really? That sounds like the perfect time for me to be here. If there really was someone inside the company trying to ruin Abner's career, this was the ideal opportunity. My presence might serve as the perfect disruption, and who knows, maybe I'd see something and catch the culprit red-handed. It wasn't likely, but a guy can dream, can't he? If someone asks about you... Just tell them I've been hired by a private investor. I'm here to talk to Mr. Forrest, see what else I can learn. No one's going to believe that. There's no reason for them to doubt it, not unless you give them one. Riley frowned. I don't think this is a good idea. I'll put that in my notes. Just play along, okay? Riley sighed heavily before getting back to work. I sensed that more was happening than she was letting on, 
I could see the tension in the way she carried herself. Rough morning? The look I received told me everything I needed to know. Riley was in no mood for small talk. However, even if she didn't have any obvious motive for getting her boss fired, I still hadn't ruled her out as a suspect. It never hurts to know more about the people involved in a case. Seriously, I said, it's obvious something's bothering you. My car wouldn't start. Well, I've had to take a taxi to work. I can't afford to run around the city in a taxi, Mr. Adams. I can barely afford the car I've already got. I'm sorry. I stepped away and grabbed a folder of documents off the desk, as if I was someone who was supposed to be here. After several minutes, a group of men in well-tailored suits came walking down the hall. I watched them approach through the open door. The office antechamber helped keep me shrouded from their view. The men spoke excitedly in German, their voices carrying down the hall. They walked right by us, taking little notice of Riley and I in our little nook. They were too busy laughing. Riley shook her head as they disappeared. What, not found of sauerkraut? I don't like not being able to know what they're saying. I always feel like they're talking about us behind our backs. Do you get a lot of German investors? A few. They're from a firm called Losungen der Zunkunft, whatever the hell that means. It means solutions of the future. You speak German? Yeah. Riley seemed surprised, and not in a complimentary sort of way. More like she could hardly believe that a mouth-breather like me had any talent at all. My grandparents moved to Cleveland after the First World War. I'd been speaking German since I was a little kid. Languages come easy when you're that age. I tried to learn Spanish in high school, but I can still only speak a few broken phrases. I guess that's better than nothing. Riley seemed surprised, and not in a complimentary way. The businessmen had been making fun of the bland decor. They said it reminded them of something out of East Berlin. I considered letting Riley in on the joke, but quickly I thought the better of it. She was already turning back to work, and anyway, just a few seconds later, the mail cart appeared at the end of the corridor. A young guy took it to each office door, stepping into the antechambers to give the executive assistants their boss's mail. When he reached us, the kid eyed me warily. He placed a few letters in a large manila envelope in front of Riley, then he darted off. I turned sideways to give him an easier path. A few moments later, he was gone. I pointed at the manila envelope. Is that... Yes. Can I? Riley shrugged, but she watched me like a hawk. I put on a plastic glove before lifting it off the desk. I nodded towards Abner's office. Riley got up and unlocked the door. Once I stepped through, I locked it again from the inside. Going over to the desk, I pulled out a small pocket knife I keep hidden in my keys. I tore open the envelope. Just as I expected, there was another photo tucked inside. It had clearly been taken across the street from Abner's apartment, but it was sharp and well-framed. Abner and his female companion were unmistakable, as was the white powder on the glass coffee table. She had marks on her wrist, and there were short lengths of rope attached to the nearby bedposts. Across the bottom, the blackmailer had written another message. It looks like you're used to the driver's seat, but now you're the one who's about to get beat. I had a suspicion the pictures were about to get more graphic from here on out, but it would be hard to be more incriminating than this. By the way it had been shot, whoever was behind this had been using decent equipment, too. I could only hope that maybe they'd been stupid enough to buy it in the last couple weeks. If they'd used a credit card, I might be able to follow a paper trail. 
It wasn't likely, but as I said, a guy can hope. Pulling out my cell phone, I took shots in the front and the back of the picture before I slid it back into the envelope. Then I tapped the button on Abner's desk, the one he used to call Riley in the other day. She stepped inside, and it was pretty clear that she didn't appreciate having me summon her. Is it too much to hope for a few minutes alone with Abner this morning? He might come by, but he won't have time to talk. He's got meetings all day showing off our developing products line, and he's on the board. Got it. Taking the envelope, I folded it once and put it inside a plastic bag. If I was lucky, maybe I could get a fingerprint off it. If I could, then I'd have to call in a favor with one of the few people at the police department who still liked me. I walked back to the door alone. Riley waited by Abner's desk while I left. As I exited into Riley's outer office, I found a young man leaning over her desk, using a single finger to look through Abner's mail. I acted as if I didn't notice him for a few seconds, pretending to be warmly oblivious. He straightened up immediately and watched me as I walked out of the room. I continued down towards the elevator. Reaching the end of the corridor, I rounded the corner and ducked down, pretending to tie my shoe. I used that as a pretext to look back around the corner in a less visible angle. Then, I watched as the slender man exited Abner's outer office and made his way down another hallway. Instinct told me that this was a lead worth following. There were enough other people around that I was able to follow the young man easily. In normal times, I probably would have stood out like a sore thumb. However, there were so many people in the hallways today that it took sustained effort to keep track of anyone. Still, I wish I'd been dressed in something nicer. He'd gotten a good look at me at Riley's desk. Anything more than a cursory glance would give me away. Thankfully, the young man was too eager to reach his destination. He made a couple of quick turns before arriving at another office. As he waited outside, I slowed my pace. A balding man looked at me suspiciously. Excuse me, I said. I'm trying to find Abner Forrest's office. What for? Shabbily dressed as I was. There weren't many covers that would stick. But there was one that almost always worked, in a pinch. Um, my name's Chase, Lyle Chase. I work for Wired Magazine. I'm getting background for a story about the IPO. I was told he's been here since the beginning. Reporters are often dressed like slobs. With everything going on at Syncorp right now, there were probably half a dozen in the building. The executive sighed and nodded back the way that I'd just come. As the old guy gave me directions, I watched the young man disappear into the office door. He's on the other side of the floor. Oh, I said, pointing at the office the young man just disappeared into. I, I thought it was that one there. That's Miss Televerger's office. Oh, well, maybe I should ask her for a quote, too. <sighs> Not if you value your life. Satisfied that I was harmless, the balding man walked away. I noted the door numbers before I made my way back to the car. I'd heard Ms. Taliver J's name before. I considered calling Linda. If she hadn't finished at the county clerk's office, it might be worth pulling anything on Lucy Taliver J as well. But I decided to wait. Linda had been pretty pissed this morning. It was probably a good idea to give her time to cool off. I arrived back at my office shortly before noon. Linda wasn't there yet, which meant that she was probably out for lunch. However, there were three folders of documents waiting on my desk. I opened the one on Abner. I was disappointed to see that there wasn't much there. 
The second folder was a list of property owners along the stretch of Kinsmen, which Spence had been trying to buy out. I scanned it quickly, but none of the names popped. I took a picture with my phone so I could look at it again later. Then I set that aside. The last file was on the O'Malley's. It was also the thickest. They told me the only houses they owned were the one in Bay Village and the condo on Superior. The records revealed that, surprisingly, they'd been telling me the truth. It also had a list of cases that Killian had prosecuted over the last ten years, along with the names of all the defendants and judges highlighted along the side. Most of it was small time. Burglary, assault, disorderly conduct. The kind of Mickey Mouse bullshit that's open and shut. However, Killian had also been making a name for himself by taking cases on that made other people nervous. That's why his star was on the rise. The scuttlebutt was that he hoped to run for county executive, that would make him the most powerful politician in the greater Cleveland area. I scanned the list and took note of how aggressive Killian was. He worked as many cases as any prosecutor I'd ever seen. Regardless of anything else, he was effective. His conviction rate was staggeringly high. It was also notable which cases he hadn't taken. For example, he'd avoided the Brello case, where cops had fired 137 shots into a young couple who were fleeing a traffic stop. It was a complete shit show, and one officer in particular fired almost 40 rounds all by himself. Against all odds, he managed to get off. The case had rocked the city. On one side, you had people blaming the victims, as if fleeing a traffic stop justifies being shot 137 times. On the other side, you had people aghast at the Cleveland Police Department's blatant disregard for public safety and good conduct, and an eagerness to shoot first and ask questions later. A couple years later, Killian also avoided the Tamir Rice controversy. I'm not even going to go into that farce, but needless to say, no one walked away from that looking particularly good. Instead, O'Malley started his career by working on one of the biggest corruption cases in the city's history. See, Cuyahoga County used to be run by three commissioners instead of a county executive. Then, in 2010, the feds swept in and raided the government offices. The major players were all indicted. Commissioner Jimmy DeMora, County Auditor Frank Russo, the County Inspector's Office headed by Greg Vincent, they all went to jail. And if you're curious to know just how corrupt they all were, the FBI hadn't even told their local field office about the investigation. They didn't trust the agents here. And who was the lead prosecutor on that case? None other than up-and-coming Killian O'Malley. Shortly thereafter, he took the lead on the Anthony Sowell case, putting away one of the worst serial killers of the last 50 years. From a bird's-eye view, Killian's rise to prominence didn't just seem extraordinary. It seemed calculated, methodical, like he was being groomed. So how the hell had he ended up in the current shooting case? This was more Tamir Rice than Anthony Sowell, but Killian was right in the middle of it all. It seemed certain that he was going to piss off a large part of the population. Had Killian angered someone important in the prosecutor's office? Or did he see something in this case that no one else had? Or maybe his luck just finally ran out. That didn't seem likely, but then stranger things have happened. As for his kidnapped son, Liam, there was one case in the file that looked promising. I mentioned Greg Vincent before. He'd been bribing bridge and building inspectors, as well as intimidation of those who wouldn't play along. Vincent had strong connections to the Lima Coles, 
one of two major crime families in Cleveland. When pressed, Vincent cracked. He'd given Killian O'Malley the leverage he needed to go after one of the local crime bosses, Frank Lee McCauley. That story got lost in the shuffle of all the other things going on back then, but it was probably a bigger deal than all the others put together. When they locked Frank away, the Cold War between the Lee McCauleys and the Trovolones got hot. Fast. What followed was a violent summer, in which the Trovolones went from distant second to the most powerful family in the city. Things had settled down after that, but not before a lot of blood got spilled. And none of it would have happened if Killian hadn't gone after Frank Lee McCauley. Hell, even my life turned upside down. My troubles in the department were caused by my desire to push too aggressively into Trovolone business. Whether the pushback we got was institutional corruption or just good old-fashioned fear, it all amounted to the same thing. Killian had the favor of the Trovolones for taking out Frank, and he might have even had their cooperation. Would it be out of line for the Lee Macaulays to get their revenge? Maybe they'd looked at the upcoming case and seen a unique opportunity. What if they were applying pressure, knowing that the wrong choice could cost him everything? It actually made a sick kind of sense. I hoped dearly that I was wrong, because if this really was the Lee Macaulays, then I was in way over my head, and the kid was probably dead already. But then, I had to check it out. I put on my jacket and walked out to my car. The O'Malley's didn't want me talking to their babysitter, but she was the only person I could talk to who was actually present at the scene of the crime. She might still know something, even if Blake or the O'Malley's hadn't thought that it was important. I needed to hear it for myself. Of course, I'd have to be careful. If I played this wrong, if the information leaked, it could cost a kid his life. I wasn't eager to have that on my head. Ohio City has its fair share of modest two-level homes, all packed tightly together on slender strips of land. If you drive down Franklin or Bridge, there are strips of new condos filling in the gaps. They stand out starkly from the cozy, working-class neighborhood they're trying to gentrify. Tammy Mercer lived in an old house off of West 54th Street. I parked by the curb and walked to the door. I knocked twice before a dog inside began to bark. Then the front door opened. Bingley, shush! It didn't stop the dog from barking. Finally, the woman gave up and looked at me through the mesh of her screen door. Hello? Her face was creased with wrinkles, the sort of weathered countenance that's used in magazine stories about resiliency or how hardy people are in the Midwest. I'm looking for Tammy Mercer. What's this about? I did my best to be vague. It's just a couple of questions. She's not in any trouble. Trouble? I just need to ask about one of the families she babysits for. Background. I promise. It'll only take a minute. I could see the hesitation in her eyes, so I decided to add a final touch to my request. Trust me, ma'am. Doing it this way is a lot easier than a formal deposition. It's easy to sound like a cop when you used to be one. And while it's illegal to formally impersonate a police officer, strictly speaking, there's no law letting people think that you are one. Tammy? This gentleman's here for you. I gave a wan smile and a nod. Thanks, ma'am. It's been almost a decade since I wore a badge, but the old cadences were easy to slip back into. Of course, 
This wasn't the first time I'd done this. The young girl appeared in the doorway. She was short with an athletic build, the thick arms and legs of a softball player. She had light blonde hair and bright blue eyes, the protean ideal of a Midwestern girl. Tammy, this man says he needs to talk to you. She looked at me, clearly concerned. I offered a smile purposely designed to make her feel uncomfortable. I need to talk to you about Liam. Oh, yeah, that. Can I? Of course. I'm sorry. Please come in. I stepped into the foyer, where a small fireplace and ugly furniture filled most of the space. Their dog circled around my legs, eager for my attention. I pulled out a notebook from my pocket, further adding to my disguise. Can I get you something to drink? It's just a couple of questions. Now, this has to remain strictly confidential. You probably shouldn't tell anyone that we spoke. Nothing's official yet for right now. I'm just fact-finding, okay? Sure. It's okay. You can trust him. He's a police officer. Yeah, okay. Did you notice anything suspicious over the last couple weeks? Anything that stood out? Tammy's mouth twisted as she considered my question. Not really. Mr. O'Malley's been working a lot, but that's not that strange. How about people? Any strangers hanging around? Weird looks? Visitors? They hardly ever have anyone over, just Mrs. O'Malley's sister. Mrs. O'Malley, she doesn't like having company over, and I don't think they have many friends. I see. And how have they been acting? Well, like I said, Mr. O'Malley's been working a lot, and Mrs. O'Malley, she's kind of been on edge, but not anything, I don't know. They never really seemed very close, but they weren't, like, angry. Did you hear them argue recently? Before the morning that Liam... Yes, just before. No. I wasn't sure if I was relieved or disappointed that the girl didn't know anything. Is there anything else you can think that I ought to know? Anything at all? Sorry, I don't really... I'm just the babysitter. I left around noon and they were still looking for him. And you say you stayed until noon? That's noon on Saturday? Yeah. Did anyone else show up while you were looking? Someone not part of the family? No, just me, Petra, the O'Malley's, and Mrs. O'Malley's sister. Petra was the O'Malley's housekeeper, except that Killian and Kindle had told me that she didn't know their son was missing. That had seemed strange at the time, and it seemed impossible now. Okay, well, that's all, Ms. Mercer. Thank you for your cooperation. I turned to leave. Her mother seemed relieved to have me walking out the door. However, just as I was grabbing the knob, Tammy cleared her throat. Sir? I turned back around. Yeah? Are they in trouble? The O'Malley's? I've tried to call a couple times, but... I frowned. I'm sorry, I can't really say. Oh. She looked down at her feet. I just... They're not super friendly, but they're not bad people, really. I'll keep that in mind. She watched wordlessly as I walked out the door. I crossed the street and climbed into my car. Already there were gaps forming in the story. Tammy had stayed until noon the next day. That was strange. And the O'Malley's had told me that the housekeeper was out of the loop. But how could that be possible if she'd stopped by on Saturday while everyone was frantically looking? Something didn't add up. I decided it was time to pay the O'Malley's Bay Village home a visit. 
I arrived at the house just before 6 p.m. The lights over the front porch were already on. I drove by, parking my car around the corner. If anyone was keeping watch, I didn't want my vehicle to give away who I was. Walking up, I wrapped my knuckles on the front door. It swung open a moment later, revealing a slender woman in her mid-thirties. She was dressed simply in dark clothing. Are you Petra? She frowned. I'm running an investigation for Mr. O'Malley, but I need information. He said you might be able to help. She looked warily over my shoulder before waving me inside. All right. Come in. The main hallway was well lit. The house was massive, the kind that affluent families have on television. Everything was meticulously clean. It didn't feel like the sort of place that anyone actually lived in. You say you need information. What do you want to know? Have you noticed anything strange over the last few weeks? Has anyone been hanging around that wasn't supposed to be here? Anyone you didn't recognize? We've got new people stopping by all the time. Mr. O'Malley is an important man. Many people want his attention. I understand that. But has anyone acted suspiciously? No. You're sure? Anything out of place? Things been moved while you weren't here? Things searched? Petra's eyes narrowed and she stepped forward. You think I'd let something like this go by unnoticed? Mr. O'Malley pays me well. Mr. What was it you said your name was? Adams, I said. Ezekiel Adams. Listen, Mr. Adams. If I saw something suspicious, I'd have told Mr. O'Malley. If he didn't feel like sharing it with you, then I don't feel like sharing it either. By what I can see, you know him about as well as I know Brad Pitt. Listen, I'm trying to help. I think you know about a recent family... problem. You're referring to the boy. It wasn't a question, but a blank statement of fact. Yeah, what can you tell me about him? He's good child. Sweet. Sheltered in the way that sons of many powerful men are sheltered. He spends most of his time here with his father. He hardly ever goes to his mother's condo. I noted how she referred to the homes, that this was Killian's home and the condo belonged to Kindle. Was the marriage even worse than Mercy had led me to believe? What about now? Petra's eyes were like daggers. I think we both know I can't answer that question, Mr. Adams. I was told that you were at the condo the next morning. They told you I was there? It was a subtle dodge, made to sound as though the information had come from Killian. People often underestimate domestic workers, but I find them to be a font of information. However, if they feel a sense of loyalty, getting information can often be a pain in the ass. That was especially true when their employer was a suspect. They are playing games with this child's life to save their face. For the first time, her face flashed with genuine emotion. He's a child. Like I said, a sweet boy. I've been helping raise him since he was three years old. And when I noticed that his parents had left his favorite toy here, I was the one who drove into town to give it to him the next morning. I called Mr. O'Malley to ask if this is fine. They don't usually like me going to other places without asking, even though I am having keys. They don't like their private games 
getting interrupted, if you take my meaning. When I speak to Mr. O'Malley, he says, sure. So I went. That's when I found that Liam was gone. The babysitter was still sleeping in front of television and front door to apartment was hanging open. Oh, God damn it. It was open, as in... As in, not closed, Mr. Adams. The moment I stepped inside, a chill went down my back. I looked everywhere. I woke the girl, Tammy, then I called Mr. O'Malley. The man was still in bed. He and his wife were at the hotel all night, then. They didn't arrive until the morning? I cannot say where they were. They told me they were at hotel, but he was alone when I first called him. That was before I went over to house. I woke him. Apparently, Mrs. O'Malley was out getting coffee. When I stopped by the condo and found Liam missing, I called again. They don't answer at first, so I called again. Jesus, I muttered. On the third call, they answer. Both of them. Once I explained what had happened, they drove over immediately. Everything was worse than I'd been told, and what I'd been told had already sounded terrible. It's not that I was surprised that someone lied to me. Clients lie all the time. But this kind of lie, Jesus, the O'Malley's were fucking with their son's life. By then, it was already almost noon. How did the condo look when you arrived? Had anything been broken? It was fine. The babysitter is a slob, but the pizza box and the pop cans are nothing. Everything was normal, except for the boy. He was simply gone. Let me guess. They asked you to hole up here until it's blown over, right? I have been ordered to stay silent and out of sight. If you ask me, they have put their own child's life in danger. I told Mr. O'Malley to call the police. I should have done it myself, but I was not thinking straight. Mr. O'Malley, he orders me to stay quiet. He was quite angry. Does he get angry at you a lot? Petra chuckled darkly. <laughs> See? This is what I mean. If you really knew Mr. O'Malley, you'd know he gets mad at everyone. He is not a man to cross. He holds terrible grudge. I really am trying to I know what you are, Mr. Arms. Private detective. You look for the items or others just walk by. I understand it very well. But if Mr. O'Malley knew we were speaking, it wouldn't go well for either of us. Do you understand me? He is the sort of man who must maintain control. It is pathological. I know the type. I made a mental note to be more careful what I said to Killian. It wasn't surprising that he was a control freak, nor that he had a temper. But that he'd been so reckless with his son's life? Well, that was unique. I still didn't know him well enough to predict what he'd do next. Don't let him know that we spoke. And find the child. Fast. He shouldn't have to suffer for his father's pride. I've seen that happen far too many times. Me too, I told her. I left through a side door, winding out a different way to the street. I moved briskly back to my car, turning the key and doing a U-turn as fast as I could. I sped towards downtown. I'd hoped that the babysitter and the housekeeper would make things more clear. Now they were murkier than ever. 
it was like suddenly realizing that the thousand-piece puzzle you're working on is of a Jackson Pollock painting. I was no closer to putting anything together. I pulled up outside my agency office and jumped out of the car. That's when I heard a voice that stopped me dead in my tracks. We need to talk. I turned to see Lieutenant Blake West standing beside my door, his arms crossed. He looked pissed, and there was a noticeable edge to his voice. Now. Bullets and Rust is written, recorded, and edited by Abraham Dunn. The theme music is written and performed by Avril McAnally. The cast for this episode was... Mary Joyce, Bernadette, Martello, Deegan, as Linda. Billy Halal as Don Monroe. Maggie Holm as Tammy. Caitlin Hawkins as Justine Gent. Alexandria Marshall as Riley Parker. Suzanne McWhorter as Petra. Libby Monroe as Vicki Mercer. David Payne as Detective Blake West. It should go without saying, but this series is entirely fictional, as are its characters. Any claims of resemblance to actual people says more about the person making them than it does about this show. This has been a Needle Drop production. On the next episode of Bullets and Rust. Zeke, are you trying to get this kid killed or are you just stupid? The police aren't happy that I've gone around to their restrictions. Meanwhile, Justine is anxious for me to find out who plugged her old man. Damn it, Zeke, will you answer the door? I'm losing my mind, Zeke. Did you find anything yet? And a meeting with a member of the local organized crime syndicate doesn't go quite the way I'd hoped. You're playing a dangerous game, Zeke. I always assumed you were too smart to get stuck in the middle. That and more on the next episode of Bullets and Rust.